Thank you, Joy. Okay, good. So my name is Hazen Stevens. I'm part of the leadership team here at the House of Prayer, and I'm excited to be sharing with you guys tonight. I had a whole message planned out. It's really good. You should listen to it on the podcast, but we're not going to do it tonight. So, um, so the message I have planned out, we're, we kinda, I kind of felt like Holy Spirit and I got together during the worship, and with Billy's blessing, we scrapped that message. And uh, I'm just going to give us a little exhortation tonight, and then we're going to go into a time of ministry. Does that sound good? Man, presence of Jesus was sweet in worship. I just wanted to kind of keep doing that. Um, But I feel like what he spoke to my heart, he wants some of us to hear. So go with me to Acts chapter 10. And I want to talk about uh, cultivating faith for the suddenly of God in your life. And how the individual suddenly... uh, and the individual contending for a breakthrough can actually produce a corporate breakthrough. So I just want to tell the story, draw on a few principles, tell a few testimonies, and then ask for an anointing to contend in prayer for a suddenly of God. Does that sound good to everybody? Adjust this there. Okay. All right. So the story, Acts chapter ten. There was a certain man at Caesarea named Cornelius, a centurion of what was called the Italian Regiment, a devout man, one who feared God with all his household, who gave alms generously to the people and prayed to God always. He prayed to God always. And about the ninth hour of the day, he clearly saw in a vision an angel of God coming in and saying to him, Cornelius, I I love this, it kind of uh, echoes with the passage uh, where the angel appears to Daniel in the book of Daniel and says, beloved of the most high, you know, and he knows, he knows the angel knows Cornelius by name. And I just feel like we all know, we all know that God knows us by name, right? We all know Psalm 139 is powerful. God knit us together in our mother's womb. He knows every day of our lives, but there's just something amazing to think that this, he's non-Jewish, but he's God-fearing Living in that day, he's, a, he's a, a, a military officer of the Roman army, and he's there in Judea, and he's come to know God, but he doesn't, he's not just seeking God. God knows this man by name and has sent an angel to him. That's cool. I'm like, it's one thing to know, okay, yeah, my name is known by God in heaven, but I mean, to have the angel show up and go, Hazen, that would be pretty sweet. So... Cornelius, and he looks at him, and he's afraid, and, uh, and he says to this angelic being, what is it, Lord? And that's not capital L, Lord, that's what is it, crazy, powerful being that's scaring me. This is a military dude, but he's referring to this angelic being as Lord, and he says to him, this is the angel's message, your prayers and alms have come up as a memorial before God. Now send men to Joppa, and send for Simon, whose surname is Peter. He's lodging with Simon a tanner, whose house is by the sea, and he will tell you what you must do. So this is cool. Not only does the angel know Cornelius, but he also happens to be keeping tabs on all the apostles in the locale. And he goes, this is the address where Peter is, and your prayers, Cornelius, have set something in motion, and I'm sending you on an errand that is going to culminate with a blessing to your household. 
And he can't see the full picture of what's ahead and what's coming, okay? But he recognizes this angelic being is sending him on a mission to get this man, and this man is gonna give you something from heaven, okay? And that's as far as he can see, but in faith, he sends, he sends some of his soldiers. Then when the angel spoke to him, departed, Cornelius called two of his household servants, devout soldiers, from among those who waited on him continually. So when he had explained all these things to them, he sent to Joppa. The next day they went on their journey. They drew near the city, and Peter went up on the housetop to pray. And the sixth hour he became very hungry and wanted to eat. But while he, they made the food ready, he fell into a trance and saw heaven opened and an object like a great sheet bound at four corners descending down to the earth. And in it were all kinds of four-footed animals wild beasts, creeping things, birds of the air, and a voice came and says, rise, Peter, kill, and eat. So Peter goes into this trance, a sheet comes down. Man, sometimes the language of the spirit is just weird, right? This is just, couldn't he have just gotten the angel that explained the whole situation step by step like Cornelius got? But instead, God, he's cool. He's like a God of mystery, you know? And so we've got Cornelius. Cornelius gets the angel. Peter gets the vision, Rise, kill, and eat. And Peter said, no, not I, Lord, for I've never eaten anything common or unclean. The voice spoke to him again a second time. What God has cleansed, you must not call common. And see, the Lord is using this vision to address a theological error that Peter had. See, he grew up in the Jewish tradition which said, anything of the Gentiles is completely unclean. And he's about to be, his heart is being prepared to be sent on an errand to do the work of God. But he had some theological things that the Lord wanted to straighten out first. And that being specifically that the Gentiles were about to be joined to the children of Israel as uh, co-heirs and co-holders of the promise of God. And, um, and he's about to minister that to them, but he's still got this thinking that Gentiles have to convert to Judaism before they can be acceptable in God's sight. And so uh, Jehovah Sneaky is about to pull a fast one on him. So Peter said, not so, Lord, for I've never eaten anything unclean. The voice spoke to him, what God has cleansed, you must not call common. This was done three times, and the object was taken up into heaven. And I love that the Lord doesn't give him any immediate interpretation. You know, the, the Lord, he leads in mysterious ways. And so while Peter was wondering within, him, within himself what the vision he had seen meant, behold, men who had been sent from Cornelius had made inquiry for Simon's house, stood before the gate. So just as the vision ends, I just love all the sovereign elements of this story. Just as the vision ends, the men approach the gate. I mean, it's so cool. And, um, and, and so as Peter's thinking about the vision, the spirit says, behold, three men are seeking you. Arise, therefore, go and be with them, doubting nothing, for I have sent them. So you see the agency of angels. You see visions. You see the voice of God in the, in the gentle whisper of the Holy Spirit to Peter's heart. You know, so often we get into a routine of the way that we hear and expect God to speak. And isn't it true that just as we begin to expect one thing consistently from God, he switches it up. Now, why does he do that? Why does he do that? When we just start to get him figured out, right? Why does he change things up on us? I believe part of it is he wants a constant lean and hunger and dependency upon him that we would never think that in of our own selves we can just put God in a box and expect him to do X, Y, and Z. There's so many different ways that God is eager to speak to us, whether it be angels, whether it be visions, whether it be the voice of the Holy Spirit whispering to our hearts. So go with him, as the Holy Spirit tells him, doubt nothing. Peter went down to the men who'd been sent for him and says, 
And Cornelius, uh, from Cornelius and says, I'm whom you seek, for what reason have you come? And they said, Cornelius, a centurion, a just man, who fears God and has a good reputation, was divinely instructed by a holy angel to summon you to his house and to hear words from you. And he invited them and lodged them in. I love this simple principle. Um, it's not the main thing I want to say, but just consider this, okay? Angel, vision, the whisper of the Holy Spirit, human men, soldiers sent to get all of these, these different means of communication all to get one man anointed by God to stand before a people that need to hear the message from his lips. What is the means by which God has prescribed for the gospel to go forth to the nations? Well, he shows us right here in preparation of the Gentile Pentecost. Prayer and then proclamation from the, from the lips of anointed servants. And God sovereignly orchestrates this, okay, And so there's an element to which God kind of works all the details out, but remember that the reason Cornelius was selected was because of his agreement with God in the place of prayer. And so often we just relegate the realm of breakthrough to this place of, well, God will do it when he wants to do it. And there is without a doubt a sovereign element to the breakthrough and suddenly of God, but I don't believe Cornelius is selected unless there's a life of prayer ascending before God as a memorial. Because isn't that what the angel told him? And so Peter goes, and they enter Caesarea, and Cornelius is waiting for him. And I love this. It just shows the kind of childlike ignorance of Cornelius. Um, They fall down at the feet to worship Peter, because the angel had talked about Peter, and uh, Cornelius falls down at his feet, and Peter kind of has to explain awkwardly, this this is what Lucifer got sent to hell for. Please don't do that. Like, (laughs) I'm not God. I'm not Jesus. You know, that was kind of probably an awkward conversation. Stand up. I myself am also a man. Yeah, I know an angel told you about me and where I was and told you to come get me, but I'm just a guy. I do have angel friends. And the next day, Peter went with him. Okay, sorry, lost my place there. Stand up, I myself am also a man. And he talked with him and he went and found many who had come together. So Cornelius, man, Cornelius is a dude of faith. The angel comes and he goes immediately, sends for Peter. And then Peter, and he's expecting this guy to come, and he's expecting for him to come with something from heaven because he believes what the angel said, and he's gotten his whole family together to hear whatever this guy has to say, and he explains that, and Peter goes, you know how it's unlawful for Jewish men to keep company with or go into the house of another nation, but God has shown me that I should not call any man common or unclean, therefore I came without objection as soon as I was sent for And Cornelius says, four days ago I was fasting, and he tells the story again. So you see, the the place of prayer and fasting, we see another detail added to the story. Until this hour, in the ninth hour, I prayed in my house, and behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing, said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard, and your alms are remembered in the sight of God. Send, therefore, call Simon, whose surname is Peter. And I love that the scripture just adds that little detail. It's like, uh, you know, he knows, your, he knows your first name and your middle name. He's lodging the house of Simon and Tanner by the sea. When he comes, he will speak to you. So I sent you immediately, and you've done well to come. Now, therefore, we are present before God to hear all the things commanded you by God. Something remarkable is about to happen. But I just want to retrace very briefly, okay? See, many of us think the suddenly of God, it's one day just going to happen, all right? 
But if you look at this story, there are elements that produce this suddenly. Cornelius' life in prayer, his life in fasting, his giving to the poor. And if I look back on my own journey with God, I recognize that there were definite suddenlies, and I'm going to talk about them in a moment. But those suddenlies were precipitated by a givenness to the place of prayer. And when we're on the verge of suddenly, I believe, this is the the word of the Lord for us tonight, when we're on the verge of a suddenly, right, and we've been laboring for seasons, not having seen the suddenly, and we're on the verge of the suddenly, there's a temptation to doubt, There's a temptation to pull back in our hearts, even though it seems that God is moving in a direction to bring a breakthrough, like what Cornelius was experiencing. It's easy to say, well, I'm not going to put faith because I can't define what's right over the horizon. God is clearly moving in some way, but I can't see what he's doing on the other side of the veil. And so we withhold our faith and our agreement. The very faith and agreement that got us to where we were on the verge of a breakthrough in the first place. I can remember the very first breakthrough that I experienced in God. It was 2005, and I was working at a camp. Uh, And the worship team, you guys can actually go ahead and come up. This is going to be really brief. So if you guys want to get ready, wherever you guys are, they might be back there. But um, 2005, I was working at a camp called the Cove Cove Camp in Asheville, North Carolina, and it had been a radical summer of transformation for me. Um, I'd been there like two or three weeks at that point. Um, The season right before that was probably the season of the the most deep brokenness in my entire life. Uh, I had really come to the Lord for the first time as a young college student. I had all kinds of addictions to pornography, all kinds of, uh, was coming out of immoral relationships, and a real... uh, a a real place of just darkness and brokenness in my family life and in my personal life. And in those last few weeks of college, God had begun speaking to me and he called me uh, to come work at this summer camp. And it was uh, was the summer that I should have been going to do my uh, undergraduate uh, internship so that I can position myself for a job when I graduate from college. And I just said, God, whatever you want me to do, that's what I want. I'm done trying to lead my own life because I've led my own life up to this point and it's been a mess. And so I realized I'm not the best leader for my life anymore. You are. Then from that place of surrender and brokenness, I said, my reputation is yours. My money is yours. My time is yours. Just make something good out of my life because my life feels like ashes. Um, and I want you to make something good about it. I didn't even have that language necessarily. That's just how I'm articulating it to you guys. It was more like, God help. <laughs> you know, that was more <laughs> kind of where I was. You know, you, you kind of frame things up better in retrospect. But it was more like I was in the place of, God help, I'm a mess. You know, and God began to meet me. And I found a real passion for sharing the gospel and for the presence of God and for prayer. And in that place of the mundane, the simple things of Christianity, God was actually preparing me for a suddenly. And I remember this one particular week, um, the Holy Spirit, he, he, he spoke to my heart to kind of fast and pray a little bit. And I fasted for one whole day. <laughs> and God was probably like, that's, that's cute, little guy. And I remember feeling this sense of expectancy. And a few other guys had fasted with me because I had this expectancy. Lord, Lord, you wants to do something special this week in my cabin. And so I'd been fasting out of the expectancy. And I didn't know what special meant. I didn't know what breakthrough meant. I didn't know, you know, I didn't even have that language. I grew up 
Baptist, you know, no offense, Brother Jeff, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> Jeff Lyle's our Baptist friend from down the street, and, um, and so, you know, I grew up Baptist. I didn't have language for any of that stuff, and so, but I knew God wanted to, and this was my language, do something, and that was the ex- expect. So I did a little fasting, and I did a little prayer, and I positioned my heart, and instead, when I came to the service that night, it was like, I didn't know what to expect, but I was looking around for angels flying through the room or something. Something was going to happen, because I, fat- I didn't eat lunch, <laughs> and so, <laughs> so I'm expecting something glorious to happen, right? And, um, and, you know, these aren't the most powerful, this isn't the most powerful time that I've seen God move, but it was one of the first times, and it's, it marked me. And so we go into worship, and the strangest thing happened. I was sitting on the back row. It was a room about half this space. Um, and so if you can imagine four or five rows, and I'm pacing in the back behind my ca- cabin of kids, and they're about 10, 10 years old, these kids. And, um, and it's a, a, a worship time. And just the presence of the Holy Spirit is, is there in an increased way. And we're singing like, Lord, I lift your name on high, you know, shout to the Lord. And it's like one guy and a guitar. Like, it's not like the, you know, it's not one thing, okay? And, um, and so, but we're doing camp worship. And the kids, I, I thought they must have gotten into an argument. Because everybody else is worshiping and enjoying themselves. And all my campers, their heads are down. Their, their uh, hands are over their face. They're, they're like clearly distraught. And I'm like, what is, what is going on? Like, what's going on here? And, uh, and one kid shoots up off the end of the row, and he runs out onto the deck, and he is just sobbing, sobbing uncontrollably. And I go, hey, little guy. And I'm not like, this just shows you how not in tune to the activity of the Holy Spirit I was. I was like, what's wrong, little guy? Did somebody say something mean to you? Like, what happened? And he's weeping, and he goes, he died for me. He died for me. Without anyone preaching the gospel to him, the Holy Spirit was just pouring supernatural revelation in the hearts of these kids in worship, in the place of God's presence. And I made a connection there in, about prayer. God whispered something to my heart, I want to do something special. And instead of going, ah, that's dumb, or who knows, or maybe it's not worth it, I just said, well, I guess, I don't know, the Bible talks about, like, if you fast, stuff will happen. So I skipped a meal. Seriously. And God honored that little bit of fasting and prayer. And every single kid in my cabin was in distress for their soul and made a commitment for Jesus that night, either a rededication or a first-time decision. All 12 kids in my cabin that night without even, I articulated the gospel, but the conviction was present even before. Do you know how easy it is to get people saved when the Holy Spirit has them in conviction before you share the gospel with them? And I realized in that moment, man, the Holy Spirit, he's the way to go. (laughs) That's what we want, right? We want the suddenly of God. We want the supernatural activity. We want the brass heavens to break, you know? And I, in my mind, was just looking for something supernatural, you know, for for maybe for myself or for my friends, but a whole cabin of kids was impacted. And I just got this crazy idea. What if a community of people prayed and fasted and like a whole city came under the conviction of God? Because is a cabin really that different than a whole city to God who made everything? 
What if somebody actually, a community actually got faith for a breakthrough? For a suddenly. Peter had opened his mouth and said, in truth I perceive God shows no partiality. Every nation, whoever fears him and works righteousness is accepted by him. The word which God sent to the children of Israel, preaching peace through Jesus Christ. He is Lord of all. The word you know, which was proclaimed throughout all Judea, beginning in Galilee. The baptism which John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, who went about doing good, healing all those who were oppressed by the devil. And God was with him, and we are witnesses of these things, which he both did in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem, whom they killed by hanging on the tree. Him God raised up on the third day, And showed him openly, not to all people, but to witnesses chosen before by God, even to us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and testify that it is he who is ordained by God to be the judge of the living and the dead. To him, all the prophets witness that through his name, whoever believes in him will receive remission of sins. And then the Holy Spirit was like, okay, Peter, that's enough before you mess it up. (laughs) And the Holy Spirit, it says, verse 44, While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon all who heard the word. I remember that same summer, I'm not gonna tell the whole story, I'll tell it abbreviated. Many of you at Foreigner Church have heard me share this story. We were at a tell-it time, and tell-it time is when campers get to share their testimony, and um, it's not time that counselors are supposed to share things, but I had this incredible Uh, unction that I was supposed to pray for healing, and this was an evangelical environment. I'd never even seen anybody pray for healing in an altar, and uh, but I had this conviction that I was supposed to do that, and I go up to share that with the the director's permission, and he had just such a hunger for God, and he was just like, he trusted me, and he just said, hey, go up and share that, and as I shared it, I, I remember the presence, seeing the presence of the Holy Spirit fall on a group of people for the very first time. Three, four rows up, a whole cabin full of girls just started spontaneously weeping in the presence of the Lord. And I just remember, I remember that night just, um, no one led the worship. The Holy Spirit just led the worship. And we tarried there in this altar, none of us really understanding what was happening. This is the closest thing I can come to, this biblical experience that I can relate it to. And and I remember just tearing in that, that altar space, praying for people and seeing people healed and delivered. My wife, who had had a broken arm, they said that her broken arm injury, she's my wife now. She was just a girl I was praying for then. But, uh, <laughs> but she had, uh, they said that her injury where she'd broken her arm, um, it, it, they said it was regressing, but, she'd had a, uh, but she had this promise from the Lord that she was going to be healed, and she got prayer that night. And, um, and they said it was going to be three months till she got her cast off, and she got her cast off that exact week. She went to the doctor, and they said, we don't know what happened, but your arm's better. And they removed her cast. And, and so healings happen. Deliverances happen. Conviction happened. The sweetness of God's presence happened. And I just remember just going, that's why, I, man, that God put this stuff in my own personal history, and you guys have your own stories where God marked you with a suddenly, with his presence, and he put something in you that when you come here with all the crazies to the revival, to people who are contained for revival, you're like, ah, I'm home, you know? And it's like I got here, and I was like, this is home, because they, that thing, that manifest presence that I said, this is it, man. I don't, I wanna li- I don't wanna live pursuing anything else 
but the bliss and the joy of being near to God and seeing him transform and change people where years of counseling couldn't do it. And I love counseling, you know, but there's things that when you, you know, what medical doctors can't do, God does supernaturally in a moment. And I'm, I'm thankful for the reality that God gives us incremental growth and gives us Christian counselors and gives us you know, doctors with wisdom, but there is no substitute for the manifest presence of God that does these miraculous things, that instantly saves and converts souls. And Peter is confounded by the activity of the Holy Spirit in his midst. And he says, well, I guess we got a baptism with, baptize them with water because the Holy Spirit's just baptized them with fire. And he recounts later, and this is the verse I'll close with, Acts eleven fifteen. He's trying to explain to the Jewish elders and leaders in Jerusalem what exactly happened and kind of this tweak to their theology that now the Gentiles are on equal footing with the Jews before the eyes of God, that they've actually been reconciled in the cross, the very thing Jesus hinted at over and over again in his teaching. And he's explaining it, and he says in Acts eleven fifteen. This verse um, has stuck in my heart over the last few years. It's been a, a significant prayer point. It says, as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell upon them as upon us at the beginning. And I remembered the word of the Lord when he said, John indeed baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit. What was the connection that Peter was making? He was saying the same one who baptized us in the very beginning is still in the business of baptizing with the Holy Spirit and fire. The very one who promised that there's a greater baptism than the baptism of John. He's still in heaven pouring out his spirit. And if you'll pray and believe for a suddenly and a breakthrough, that same one who baptized at Pentecost and then did the same at Cornelius' house, that very same one will pour out the Spirit again upon us as he did in the beginning. There is only one who baptizes with the Holy Spirit in fire, and it's the one who shed his precious blood on that cross and rose again from the dead and ascended to the right hand of God. And this one, Jesus Christ of Nazareth, he is still in the business of pouring out his Spirit. If there's a people who will say, I will fast and pray and let my prayer arise before God as a memorial until breakthrough happens in my city. So I want to take a moment. I want to pray for people with a yes in their heart to the place of intercession that the brass heavens in this city would be broken. And what happened with that little cabin on that night, supernatural manifest conviction and fire gripping people's hearts, that it would happen again in churches all across our city. Every denomination, every congregation, that there would be a true Pentecostal baptism in fire. And I love it. I love the amens. Thank you. Thank you, but I want more than amens. I want groans in the closet. I want groans of intercession. I want to be gripped with something that grabs me and doesn't let go until we see a third great awakening in our nation. We need to be wounded with a vision of something higher. I want God to wound me again for his presence. I want God to wreck me again for something that takes what would otherwise be impossible. The drug addict, the meth addict, they walk in the room and they get delivered. And that's not, that's not hype, that's real, that's what God's in the business of. It's what he's in the business of, it's what he wants to do. 
It's what he wants to do. It's who he is. He's the same God. It's the same one. Visited Cornelius, sent the angel, sent things in motion. Sent a man anointed by God. Apostolic preachers with power. That when they speak, the Holy Spirit falls. Oh, God, make it of us, God. Make us a community of that, God, please, God. 